Amen. Well, I'm glad that Christianity is not uh, smoke and mirrors, it's not lies and deceit, but it is the truth, and it's the truth of history, it's the truth of geography, it's the truth of God. I'm glad that I serve a living Savior that died and paid for my sin. I want you to open your Bibles again to Psalm number 31, and just mark your Bible right there. I may reference other verses, but right here's where we're going to stay in Psalm number 31. Uh, verse number 9 and 10, while they're not the most important verses in looking and understanding, uh, it is a, a focal point uh, uh, for the psalmist as he writes uh, and he sings this song in somewhat of a time of failure in his Christian life. And the message I'm preaching today, I'm excited always about preaching truth because I think it helps. I think, that, I think the truth of God is what we have to have to not only to successfully live the Christian life, but to make it through some tough times and difficult times in our life. And the title of the message this morning is, When the Christian Life is a Struggle. When the Christian life is a struggle. I want you to look at verse number 9. He says, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief and my years with sighing. My strength faileth. And then this is why. This is why. Because of mine iniquity. I don't know about you, but I look forward to the day that I'll have a new body that I'll never, ever disappoint the Savior again. And I'll be able to rejoice in purity. I'll be able to praise Him in purity. But we understand, as the psalmist says, I've failed because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. The psalmist, or I'm sorry, the apostle Paul made the phrase, made the statement, who shall deliver me from this body of death, making a reference to this old flesh that is so sinful and desirous of self-satisfaction, and we desire with the Spirit of God to please Him. So I want to preach this morning on the subject, when the Christian life is a struggle. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the Word of God, and I thank you, Lord, that there is an answer for every difficulty, for every valley, for every mountain, for every trial of life. And I'm thankful for the opportunity to preach your word. But Lord, I understand that in the power of my own flesh, in the strength of my own flesh, I'll fail not only you, I'll fail all of these folks that are here, and Lord, the great number of folks that are watching online. And I don't want to do that. And so I pause to pray, asking you once again, as I have through the night and as I have this morning here in this place already, that you would help me to be filled with your spirit, that I could preach in a way to be a blessing uh, to our folks this morning. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. There are times in the Christian life that it just filled with joy and gladness, and everything seems to be going well. There's not a cloud in the sky. Uh, every light bulb is burning. Uh, every part of the Christian life is just joy and gladness. There are times uh, when it's exciting to read the Bible. You read it and you think, wow, that's a great passage of Scripture. And it moves you. It moves your emotion. It moves your obedience. And it's just, just, just wonderful. There are times that we show up for our place of service. 
Uh, we show up to church. We show up to our place where we uh, serve the Lord. And it just, it's just a wonderful thing. You put your tithe in the offering plate and your offerings. And, and you just, it just feels good to do uh, the will of God and to do right. And then there are times that the Christian life is just a struggle. Uh, it is. You feel like you're going through motions without any emotion. Uh, you seem to struggle in your relationships in life, and most importantly, uh, you struggle in your relationship with God. And sometimes life isn't easy, and sometimes uh, you get tired, sometimes you get discouraged, but you can't say why. You don't know why. In fact, you look at your life and you say, why do I feel discouraged? I don't have a reason in the world to be discouraged. Why do I feel down? But sometimes life is just that way. And I am so thankful for this precious book right here. That is not a book so far above my head, I can't understand it, but it's written that I can understand everything in this book right here. And there is an answer and a help for every single time of life. When I read this psalm, I think of people in the Bible, for example, like Elijah. I'll not go through all of the stories, but never was there a prophet that stirred up more excitement than did Elijah. He had prayed down fire from heaven. Uh, after a three and a half year uh, drought and no rain and, and uh, then uh, the rain comes and Jezebel writes him a letter and said, I'm going to take your life by this time tomorrow night. And uh, Elijah gets discouraged. He runs. He goes and sits down under a juniper tree and of course uh, he says, Lord, I'm the only one left that wants to do right. I'm, I'm the only one left. Nobody else in this world wants to do right. And of course, God told him, he said, you're not. There are 7,000 that have not bowed their knee to Baal. There's 7,000. You're not the only one. Then Elijah makes a foolish statement. He makes a statement like we would sometimes. He said, Lord, there's no reason for me to live. Why don't you just take my life? Now, he didn't mean that. He didn't want to die. Because if he wanted to die, he could have stayed in Jerusalem, saved himself a trip, and she'd have killed him. Uh, she'd already promised to kill him. He didn't want to die, but that's just what he said. He wanted somebody to feel sorry for him. And, and, and all of us have been there, and maybe you're there today. And he just said, Lord, I'm the only one left. You can just take my life too. When I, when I think of Psalm 31, I think of those times in Elijah's life. He wasn't on the mountain. He wasn't praying down fire from heaven, but he was under the juniper tree, and he was discouraged and depressed. When I think of Psalm 31, I think of the time in the life of Peter. I, I love Peter. I mean, he's a great, great disciple. He causes a little trouble now and then. But if you're choosing sides, you want Peter on your side. Uh, you know whose side he's on. And I, uh, Peter is a fellow uh, that cut the ear off the soldier that came to get Jesus. And I don't think he was trying to cut his ear off. I think he was trying to cut his head off and the soldier ducked. And I think all he got was his ear and Jesus put it back on. And then Peter, he comes to the place that uh, he goes further than any other disciple. I mean, he's, he's a part of that inner circle. And they're about to crucify the Lord Jesus and he's a part of that inner circle. He's gone farther than anyone. And then somebody asked him, they said, you're with Jesus, aren't you? And fear gripped his soul. And he said, no, I, I'm not with Jesus. He said, well, you, your, your speech, you sound just like, I, I'm sure you're with Jesus. And so to prove that he wasn't with Jesus, he started cursing. He, he started cursing to let them know, I'm, 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 I'm not with Jesus. I'm not one of them Christians. I'm not one of them disciples. He just started, he just started cursing. And then, the, as you know the story, Peter went out and the old rooster began to crow. Jesus told him what was going to happen. 
rooster began to crow, Peter was discouraged. He began to weep. In fact, in fact the Bible said he wept bitterly. I think of Psalm 31. When I read Psalm 31, I think of Peter in a time of failure, in a time of disappointment. I think of the prodigal son. He is um, taken all that he had. He took his inheritance. And he went into the far country and he wasted his substance on riotous living. Things are going pretty good when he has money. Now all of his money has gone. And he began to be in want. He didn't have food to eat. He didn't have a place to stay. His mind wandered back to home. He thought about just the servants. Doesn't say anything about his brother. He just thought of the servants. He said, the servants have bread enough to eat and to spare. And I perish with hunger. I'm nothing but a failure. I failed the Lord. In fact, he went back and when he talked to his father, he said, Dad, I'm no more worthy than to be called thy son. He said, I don't even expect you to treat me like a son. But I wonder if you'd give me a job and just let me work like one of the servants works. It's times like these in our lives that this psalm can be a blessing. I'm going to give you four words. I'm going to give you 10,000 words, but four of them I want you to maybe write down. You thought, well, it's going to be a short sermon. Four words. We can put our shoes on now and just give you four words you can write down to help you remember the 10,000 words I'm going to say. But it's time like these that this psalm helps us. We all know what it's like to be disappointed in ourselves. We all know what it's like to feel like I just don't have the energy I don't have the excitement like I want to have. I, uh, I remember times when I get up on Sunday morning excited to go to church, and this morning I'm just going to go because that's where I'm supposed to be. I don't have that joy. I don't have that excitement anymore. And Psalm 31 will be a help to you. Maybe there is shame because of sin, like the psalmist is talking about. Uh, Webster defines the word ashamed as feeling guilt or disgrace. He uses these words, feeling inferior or the feelings of being unworthy. Regardless of how Webster defines it, we know how it feels to fail. So what do we do when life or the Christian life is a struggle? Number one, never be ashamed to possess him. Never be ashamed to possess him. I want you to look at verse number 3. For thou art my rock and my fortress. I don't deserve to stand on it. I don't deserve to have that kind of foundation, but Lord, you're still mine. And I want to say when the Christian life is a struggle, don't be ashamed to call him yours. Look at verse number 5. Into thine hand I commit my spirit. Look at verse number 14. But I trust in thee, O Lord, I said, thou art my God. Look at me. Whether you failed him or not, he's still your God. Your fellowship may be broken. Your fellowship may not be what it once was, but he's still your God. The psalmist, he said, in my iniquity, he said, I'm, I, I, I'm ashamed, I've failed, 
But in this psalm, we learn that he goes to where he knows that God is his God. I want us to understand this morning in times of failure and even in times of shame, don't ever be ashamed to possess him and for you to know that he is our God. I want you to take your Bibles and go to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. You'll enjoy this story to illustrate this point of never be ashamed of possessing him or claiming him as yours. In John chapter 20, Jesus has risen from the grave. And you can go to verse number 26 here. We'll start at verse number 24. In verse number 24 is where we'll start. Let me tell you a bit of the story and then we'll read the verses. Jesus has risen from the grave and word begins to spread and they go to tell his disciples, Hey, have you heard that Jesus has risen from the dead? I want you to look at verse number 24. The Bible says, But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, This is Thomas, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse number 26, after and after eight days again. Now, Thomas said, I don't believe. In fact, I don't believe what you're telling me, and I won't believe until I can put my finger in the prints where the nails went through his hand. I'm not going to believe that Jesus rose from the grave unless I take my own hand and put it in his side where they put the sword, the spear in his side. I'm not going to believe, not just until I see, but I'm going to have to feel, I'm going to have to know that it's him. And then it's a very sad three words when it says, and after eight days, for eight days, Thomas knows he's failed. He knows in his heart that Jesus has risen from the grave. He knows that, but he makes this foolish statement. And I want you to notice what the Bible says. And after eight days again, his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut. In other words, he did not walk through the doors, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas. Now Thomas didn't say anything to him, but he speaks to Thomas. You know why? Thomas belongs to Jesus and Jesus belongs to Thomas. And I want to tell you something this morning. You may be away from him in your feelings and emotion or you may be away away from him in your iniquity and your rebellion against God and you're in church this morning not because you're excited to be here. You're just here because you know you're supposed to be here. I want you to know something. When Jesus came into that room, it was Jesus that initiated the conversation and Jesus said to Thomas, look at it. Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but 
believing. I want to tell you something this morning. In times of discouragement, in times of feeling poor, in times when you're not as spiritually strong as you should, He is still our Heavenly Father. He is still our Savior. He is still our God. Though He may feel far away, He is not far away. He is nearby. Never be ashamed to possess Him as yours. He's our strength. Philippians 4.13. He's our comfort. 1 Peter 5.7. He, he is our comfort and our rest. Matthew 11 and verse number 28. He is our security. Hebrews 13 and verse number 5. He is our refuge in Romans chapter 5. I want to tell you something. When the prodigal went into the far country, the father didn't go anywhere. He was right where he had always been. And when the prodigal decided to go home, he found that his father was right there. And the Bible says when he was yet a great way off, the father saw him and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He began to rejoice. I want you to know this morning, if you reach out to him, Ah, dear friend, if you'll be nigh to him, he'll be nigh to you. You may feel lonely and down today. Ah, but listen, don't be ashamed to possess him. Number two, don't be ashamed to profess him. Go back to Psalm 31. If you possess him, don't be ashamed to profess him. Look at verse number one. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me in thy righteousness. Look at verse number 14. But I trusted in thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my God. If you possess him, don't be ashamed to profess him. Not ashamed of people knowing. I am not ashamed of people knowing that I am a child of God. I'm not ashamed of people knowing. You may, you may say this morning, well, I, I, I'm ashamed for folks to know I'm a Christian. Don't ever be ashamed to let people know you're a child of God. And, and you may not be what you know you should be, but you are a child of God. If you're a child of God, you ought to let the whole world know, Jesus saved me from my sin. Jesus gave me a home in heaven, and I want the world to know that he is mine. I want you to listen to this statement. To profess Christ as your Savior does not declare anything of your righteousness, but you're declaring His righteousness to you. It's not who I am, it's who He is. It's not, it's not who I am. And, and, and I want to be a good Christian. I want to be a good testimony. I want to be the salt and light I'm supposed to be. But while I may be up and down, while I may be sometimes strong and sometimes weak, he is always who he is. Don't ever be afraid to let folks know you're a child of God. Never be ashamed to possess him. Never be ashamed to profess him. Number three, don't ever be ashamed to pray to him. Now I want you to look at me right now. I want you to listen to something. The devil tells you when you failed, you might as well not pray. But that's not what the Bible says. That's what the devil says. The devil tells you you can give up, you can quit. 
God never tells you to give up. He never tells you to quit. He never tells you to don't ever come to me again. You're a child of God. You can always call on God. You can always reach out to him. I want you to look at verse number two. Bow down thine ear to me. Deliver me speedily. This is the prayer of the psalmist. Be thou my strong rock for in house of defense to save me. Uh, look at verse number uh, verse number 17. Let me not be ashamed, O Lord, for I have called upon thee. Look at verse number 22. For I said in my haste, I am cut off from thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou hearest the voice of my supplication when I cried unto thee. Do you see that verse? He said, I said in my haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, doesn't matter what I say, doesn't matter what I think, doesn't matter what I feel, what matters is what he says and what he said. If I'll call on him, he will hear me. Don't ever be ashamed to pray to him. Samson sinned against God in his pride, in the pride of his strength, he sinned against God. I'm not going through the story of how he lost his strength and how he allowed Delilah and how he allowed those women to ruin his life. What a, what a sad story that it is. And at parts of the story, we read of Samson and we say, why would you do this? I am ashamed of you. I am disappointed in you. You know the story. They shaved the hair uh, off of Samson's head and they took him down to the grist mill where they had a donkey uh, to push uh, the uh, mill, to push the rocks, to grind uh, the mill. And they took the donkey and they put Samson in its place and they made Samson uh, turn uh, the grist mill to grind the mill. Uh, they took Samson and they put his eyes out and they put him out in an arena and they laughed at him and they mocked him and they made fun of him. They said, look here, this is one of God's servants. This is one of God's people. But look at him now. They mocked him and they made fun of him. But the Bible says this, but the hair began to grow again. The hair on Samson's head began to grow again. Now listen to me. Satan would say to Samson, you can forget praying. You'll never get another prayer answered. You've sinned against God. You've shamed God and his people. Samson tells God that he has failed and he knows he has. But he said, God, if you'll give me strength yet one more time, I can destroy the enemy for your honor and glory. And if I die in that, that's okay. I just want you to give me strength one more time. Are you listening to me? God heard his prayer. You know why God doesn't hear the prayer of Christians? They don't pray. They get discouraged. They get, they get to feeling down. And we do things that's not pleasing to God. And our old sorry flesh is, is, is just uh, filled with the same temptations. And sometimes uh, we allow the flesh uh, uh, to overpower our obedience to the spirit of God that's within us. And we get to the place we say, there's no need for me to go to church. There's no need for me to sing. There's no need for me to pray. Well, I'm preaching the Bible to you this morning. And the Bible says, that you still ought to pray. You still ought to call out to God. You still ought to. In times of difficulty, don't be ashamed to pray. I'm going to give you the last one. 
Never be ashamed to praise him. Verse number four. Pull me out of the net that they have laid privily for me, for thou art my strength. He's praising God for his strength. Verse number seven. I will be glad and rejoice in thy mercy, for thou hast considered my trouble. Thou hast known my soul in adversities. Look at verse number 21. Blessed be the Lord, for he hath showed me his marvelous kindness in a strong city. In a, in a strong city. Do you understand that King David, that penned many of the Psalms, had a time in his life where he sinned against God. You know the story of how the psalmist went into sin. In Psalm 51, he comes to God in prayer and he asks God to forgive him. He comes to God in confession. And one of the things that the psalmist said was, let me hear joy and gladness again. Restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And he asked God to let me sing again. I want you to hear me well this morning. Whether you feel like praising him or not, praise him anyway. I will praise him. I will praise him. I will praise the Lamb of God. You ought to praise him this morning. You say, preacher, I don't feel like it. Praise is not an emotion, it's a decision. You, you, you say, but I'm not worthy to praise him. He, he, he didn't say, he, you, you know what the Bible says? If we didn't praise him, the rocks would cry out praising him. You say, but, but I'm not worthy. The truth is we're not worthy to become a child of God, but he saved us not because of who we are, but because of who he is. Praise him today. Praise him this week. Praise him as you go to work. Praise him as you work during the week. Tell him how good he is. Tell him how great he is. Tell him how wonderful he is. Praise him for his love. Praise him for his forgiveness. Praise him for his uh, 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 salvation. Praise him for everything that he is in your life. An old story. An old story of a young man who had to stand trial for a crime in which he was found guilty. His father, a wealthy and even a well-known rancher in the West, was present for the court proceedings. As the judge pronounced the sentence for the young man and found him guilty and announced that his Punishment would be many years in prison for his crime. As he was handcuffed and led away to the prison cell, he passed by his father. And his father uttered just a few short words to tell him that he was disappointed in him and that he had disgraced the family's name. The young man walked in front of the prison guard with his head hung in shame. Years passed. As he paid for his crime in prison, he had not heard from his father in those years. With shaking hands and a heart full of dread, he wrote a letter to his father begging his father's forgiveness 
as he sat in his prison cell just a few weeks before he would be released. He wrote these words. Dear Daddy, I am almost ready to be released from prison. I will be on the train that will go right past the ranch. If you would forgive me, please tie a white ribbon to the tree by the fence. If the white ribbon is not there, I won't get off the train at the station, but I will keep going and I will never bother you again. Those final weeks passed. The son never heard from his father, but he boarded the train toward home. And as they came within a few miles of his father's ranch, he couldn't bear to look out the window to see if his father had received the letter or if he would respond to it. He explained to the man sitting across the aisle in the train with him what had happened, and he asked him, Can you tell me if there is a white ribbon in the tree by the fence? as he held or put his face into his hands. Not only that man, but other passengers who heard his request stared out the window as the train came to the ranch and to where the tree was. The man with his face in his hands said, Do you see a white ribbon in the tree? The man responded, No. There isn't a white ribbon. There are hundreds of white ribbons hanging from the tree and all along the fence. What is that supposed to mean? The forgiven son jumped to his feet and he said, What does it mean? What does it mean? With tears streaming down his cheeks, he said, It means that my daddy has forgiven me and I'm going home. The devil's a liar. He wants you to be apart from your relationship and fellowship with the Father. I don't care how you feel or how far you've gone. You can still possess him because he's yours. You can still profess him because he's where he's always been. You can still pray to him and he promises to hear your prayer. And you can still praise him because he hasn't changed. He's always who he's been. And one day, dear friend, when this whole body is placed into the ground as a corruptible body, when that trumpet sounds, it's going to be raised to incorruptible and we're going to enter into heaven with a body like Christ and we'll never fail him, we'll never let him down again. But until that day, let's keep on serving God to the best of our ability. Stand with me if you will. Heavenly Father, thank you that you never leave us and you never forsake us. All of us at times feel as Elijah felt when he felt like he was the only one and his life wasn't worth living. Lord, may we not listen to the lies of Satan or to the deceptions of our flesh. May we open your precious book to places like Psalm 31 and say, I sure am glad that I have a heavenly father that loved me as a sinner and he loves me as a son. 
I pray, Lord, if there are those here today that are not saved, they would trust you as their Savior. And I pray for those, Lord, that have been saved and not yet baptized, that they would follow you in believers' baptism and the spiritual decisions that should be made. I pray they would be made today in Jesus' name. Amen. As he 